Okay, so today's daf is daf pei, page eighty. Nehilagim maseches tubas. Here we go. Um, we are up to daf pei, and we're up to loy achala derech kavod mai, which is on the second line. Two words, the the, the two last words, lo achala. All right, second line from the top on daf pei amar aleph. All right, so let's refresh what we learned. So in the Mishnah on the bottom of Ayin Tesom Bebez, we learned that if a husband invested in his wife's field, he invested, he put money into it, and then they got divorced. So we said it doesn't make a difference whether he invested a lot of money and he only got a little bit, or whether he invested a little bit and he pulled out a lot. Whatever happened, happened. That's it. It is what it is. However... We said if he didn't get anything back from his investment, he put money into the wife's field assuming that he's going to consume some of the produce and he didn't get anything back. So then we tell him, swear about how, embezzled about how much you spent and we'll compensate you. We'll compensate you for the money spent. But even if you, you got a little bit of benefit from what you put in, it's tough luck. You're not going to be compensated. We said, how much benefit? So we said, even if he was able to pull out a small dried fig from his investment, you know, he put $100,000 into the field and he ended up consuming one small dried fig that was eaten in a dignified manner. So kind of eaten at a meal. That's considered a little bit and he's not going to be compensated for his investment. Okay, that's where we pick up. Says the Gemara, Layachala derech kavod mai. What happens if he ate a small dried fig, but he didn't eat it in a dignified manner? It wasn't eaten in a derech kavod, in a chosh of a way. So then, how much does he need to eat in order for it to be a return on investment? Amar Ula Ula says, Pligi batrei amorei b'varaba, machlekes between two amiram in Eretz Yisrael, chad amar, it's, it has to do a value now. So the value of an iser, b'chad amar, b'chadir. The other one says it has to be the value of a dinner. Okay, if you eat an iser or a dinner, which is a higher value, but it's not eaten in a dignified way, that's considered his return on investment, and he's not going to be compensated. If he ate less than the value of an iser or a dinner, then we're going to compensate. It's like he didn't get anything from his investment, and all he needs to do is swear, and we'll compensate him on the investment. Amri Dayan Pampadisa, the Dayan Pampadisa said, Avravuda of the Bechavilas Myrais. Rabbiuda gave a psakalacha about Chavile's Myrais. Chavile's Myrais actually are t- different types of vines that animals eat. So what happened was like this You have a woman who came into a marriage with, with Nichse Malug, with Malug property. The husband invested in the field and then fed some of the growth to his animals. And then they got divorced. According to Rabbi Yehuda, that's considered like he gained from the field and we're not going to reimburse him for the money spent. So this is a chiddush. Before we said, if he ate something, we gave examples of somebody who eats for their return on investment. Rabbi Yehuda says, even if his own animal gained from it, that's also considered like he got something from his investment in the field and he's not going to be compensated. Rabbi Yehuda is consistent with his own reasoning. Rabbi Yehuda, achala arla shviyas, Uklayim. If a person eats arla shvius uklayim, harezu chazaka. 
This is considered a chazaka, which means this, sh- this shows ownership over the field. Now, Shvius is not really your field. Shmita, Arla is the first three years. Klayim, oh, they're, they're forbidden to eat. But if you do it, it's still going to show an element of ownership. So you see that Yehuda holds that once your animal eats from something, even if, you, even if your animal benefits from grapevines, that's going to show some sort of use of the field. Therefore, if they were to get divorced after he invests in the field, he's not going to be reimbursed. Amar of Yaakov, Amar of Chista. Rabbi Yaakov says in the name of Rav Chista, Let's say you have a 10-year-old girl that comes into a marriage. Her father marries her off. She comes into marriage with property that's nichsei melug, and the husband spends money on that field. It's like he, he uh, invested in somebody else's field. As Rashi explains over here, what it means is that if he puts money in, even if he gained something from it, we'll still reimburse him for the money spent. We're going to consider it like some sort of business arrangement, and it's not like a standard case of marriage if she's a katana. Why not? Says where am I, Taima? Why is a katana coming in with nixim malug property any different than a regular wife? Says the Gemara of Takanto The Rabbanon made this actually for her benefit, in order that nobody should take advantage of her. Okay, in other words, they knew the Rabbanon knew that. We actually want people, we want any husband that marries a katana to invest in the field. Now a katana could do miyun really. A katana at any time could just go and refuse the marriage. So we were concerned, the the Bezdan was concerned that no husbands of katanas are going to go invest in their wife's fields and they'll just leave it, which is detrimental for her. So therefore they said like this, any husband of a katana... If you invest in your wife's field and you put money in to keep it up and enhance further growth, Beseder will make sure that ultimately you are compensated. Two dots. Now we get to a story on this matter. Hahiitza, there was a woman. Hahiitza, there was a woman. She inherited 400 zuz. From the house of Chuzai, also Gabra Apikshisma, Isi Arba Arba Ma, and her husband went and he um, he spent his own money. He spent his own money in order he invested in order to grow her money. Okay, so um, I'm sorry. What happened was like this: she invested four hundred zuz in a place called Bei Chuzai, and her husband wanted to get the money. Well, guess what happened? By the time he got the 400 Zuz, he had spent more money trying to get the money than the money was actually worth. So, he's coming back, and this was a terrible business trip. He's going to get money, but he spent more money than it costs. It cost him more money to go there and come back than it was for the money itself. He's coming back. So he was he needed another Zuz for his, uh, you know, to, to make his way back, Rashi says. He couldn't afford the trip. Vishoko Minayu, so he took, you know, uh, he, he took some of the money from his wife. Okay. From the 400. So what happened was, also Lekameid Ravami, he came in front of Ravami and he said, listen, my wife had money, 400 zuz. I was trying to be helpful and get her that money. It ended up costing me 600 zuz. 
plus I had to take money from that because I was still short, and uh, it's not fair. I want to take that money. Amarlei, Sarvami says, Masha Haitzi Haitzi, Umasha Achal Achal. He says, Tough luck. Last letter of the Aleph Bay is tough. The Allah is whatever you spent was spent, and whatever uh, you lost was lost. Okay. So, listen, in other words, you even took one Zuz from her, right? You took one Zuz, and uh, you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to be reimbursed. Now, here's the whole catch. What messed him up is the one Zuz. Remember that? Because as soon as he benefits a little bit from her stuff, that's what messes him up completely if they get divorced. So now that he borrowed one Zuz, so he said, tough luck. Okay. So we're not done the story yet. Says the Gemara, one second. Amrulei Rabbanon, the Rav Ami. So the Rabbanon said to Rav Ami, one second, honey, mili. Where do we say, you know, this halacha of the Mishnah where he gained benefit from it? That is That's where he got benefit from some by, by using the fruits of the nechsei melug. But over here, when he took from the four hundred zuz itself, he wasn't taking from produce of the four hundred. He was taking from the principle of the four hundred. So this is just considered a regular expense. It's expense that it cost her to go get her money. And therefore, he never took the produce. Why shouldn't he be reimbursed? So he says, you're right. You're right. That's a good, that's a good discrepancy between produ- using produce and using the principal amount. It's considered a case of a husband who's trying to you know, uh, improve the nechsei the malug of his wife. And he didn't gain benefit from it. Yishava kamay haitzi v'yitol. So he swears how much, uh, how much he spent v'yitol, and then he could take reimbursement. Okay. Says the Gemara, Yishava kamay haitzi v'yitol. We said in the Mishnah that let's say he didn't gain anything, he didn't consume from the produce. What do you do? He takes an oath. And then he could pay himself back. This is only true when there's enough gain in the field to cover his cost. So meaning like this. You have a field that was worth $100,000. The husband invests in the field to improve it another $20,000. And then they get divorced. So what did the Mishnah say? The husband should swear that he put in 20000 Got nothing, got no produce from that, and then we'll reimburse him the 20 grand. Says Ravasi, this is only true if when you appraise the land, it actually went up $20,000. You can have some people that spend dumb money. So, this, what if the husband went ahead and he invested $20,000? And now we come, so now, so now he, she had a $100,000 field, he invests $20,000. He wants reimbursement. An appraiser comes to the field and he says, you know, the field was worth 100000 He put in twenty, but right now it's worth one ten. Says Ravasi, we're only going to pay him back $10,000. The only time you give him back his full, whatever he invested, is if he actually raised the value of the land to that. Let's say the gain of the land was more than the expenses, 
So then he could take the money back without even a shvua. That's what we're assuming right now. In other words, let's say like this. Let's say he puts in 20 grand and the land went up 50 grand. So then he could take compensation even without making a shvua. Omale Rav, Rav says, what do you mean? Im Kane. If, he's, if you know, the, the value went up more than his expenses, we're not going to make him make a shvua. Asi la'arume, there's going to be uh, people who aren't honest. Now, how are they not going to be honest? They'll say it like this. Here's what happens, ready? The land was worth 100,000. He invests in it. An appraiser comes and says, the land is now worth 150. You know what a husband, now they're divorced. So you know what a husband's going to do? I spent 49,000. And now he won't need to take an oath. Because he's claiming less than the gain. But the truth is, he only spent 20,000. He only put in 20. But if you're telling me that every time he's asking for less than the appraised gain, he doesn't need to take an oath, people are going to trick. They're divorced. They don't like each other. He's going to try to get the most money. Rabbi says, you can't say he won't need to take an oath. Elamarava, rather, Rabbi says, Shem the Kiddush over here is that let's say he put in 20,000, but the, gain, the appraised land only went up 10,000. What are we going to reimburse him? 10,000. And even that 10,000, he's only going to take with a Shvua. All right? So she comes in, again, let's get this clear. She comes in with $100,000. She comes in $100,000 land. Husband puts in 20 grand. Appraisal comes and it's worth one ten. He says, I put in twenty thousand. We say, okay, make an oath, take a shvua, and we'll give you back ten. I I paid twenty. Doesn't matter, you didn't improve the land twenty, you don't get twenty. Ibailu, that's the question searching for information. If let's say you have a husband who ate some of the fruit and then he sent sharecroppers which would take care of the land, Mahu, what is the halacha? Fascinating, um, fascinating shayla. Here's the shayla. The shayla is, the, the, um, generally the sharecroppers are going to be paid, sometimes with a percentage, whatever it is, wherever their salary is. All right? So these guys work the field. You know who told them to work the field? The husband. The husband hired them. Now what happened is they're now divorced. So the sharecroppers want to come and demand payment. Can they take it from the owner of the field, which is the ex-wife? Or should they go to the, hus- the, the ex-husband? Since they were hired by the husband, he should be the one to pay them. And the same way, you know, it's, uh, it's not his field, so they shouldn't be paid. Or do we say, listen, they came down to improve the land. And they worked the land, so they should get compensation for whatever they worked. All right? So those are the two sides of the Shaila. Now, before we get to answer the question, the Gemara is going to want to clarify whether it's a question in the first place. Masla, Rabbi Baravchanan, Rabbi Baravchanan says, How is this any different than a case somebody goes into his friend's field, and he plants without the owner's agreement? Yeah? A guy owns five miles of farm. A guy owns five miles of farmland. I go onto his farmland without him knowing, and I start planting. 
I'm using his land, but I'm, I'm planting in his land. So what's the halacha? So Bezdin is going to Shomenlo. They're going to evaluate the Yadai Allah Tachtayna. And whoever, and we're going to see, did you improve his land at all? If I improved his land, so then I'll be compensated a little bit. If I didn't improve his land, I won't be compensated. But even then, I always have the lower hand. So what it means is, if there's a gain in land or expenses that I put out there, I'll always get the lesser amount, either amongst my expenses or what I gain. So the Gemara says, let, the, let these arus, let these sharecroppers be the same. We should say, at least for their basic costs that they've done to the land, let's pay them. So Gemara says, so what's the shaila in the first place? So Gemara says, no. In the other case, where you plant in somebody else's field, there's nobody else doing that. So there we say, no, at least pay the lower amount of the, the gain or the expenses. But Hacha, in our case, if he wouldn't have hired the sharecroppers, he could have done, uh, he could have done it by himself. And now if the husband could have done it by himself, the, the wife wouldn't be left hanging with a bill. And therefore, we're back to our question. This case... What do you mean he's done for himself? I mean, he didn't have to do the, the work that the sharecroppers did. Yeah. He could have, he could have done that work yeah. himself. Right. Let the, let the wife, let the ex-wife say to her ex-husband, yeah, you hired sharecroppers so that the field could produce. You, you could have done it yourself and I wouldn't be left ha- hanging with a bill. That's the shine. So Gemara says, okay, it's a good shayla. So my Allah, what's taqad Allah? The husband sent sharecroppers down. Now they get divorced. Who has to pay them? My Allah, what's the Allah? Amr Avudar Beid Rav Yeshua. Chazinan, we should see. Ibal Arasu, if the husband himself, Rashi says, knows how to work the land, if the husband himself could have done it, so then, you know what? She actually has a claim. And she could say, who are you to send these guys down to the field? You could have done this yourself. You have no right to, to walk away and hand me a bill. However, if the husband doesn't, is not an artist, meaning he doesn't know anything about farming. He doesn't know anything about sharecropping. And this means at the time of marriage, if she's coming into a field, she's expecting sharecroppers to have worked there, and needs sharecroppers. Hence, either way, she would have had, uh, whether or not she was married, she would have needed these aris, and, and uh, he could hand her the bill she's going to have to pay. Obviously, if it's, a, uh, if it's a competitive amount. Okay. Good shayla, good tarots. Let's get on to another shayla. That's another question of information. What happens in the following case? A woman comes into a marriage with a malug property. Call it an apple orchard. Who's allowed to use the produce? The husband. The husband walks over to his friend and says, listen, I don't really like apples. I don't want to be busy with it. I'll tell you what. As long as I'm married and I have rights to the produce, I'll sell the rights to you. So he walks over to his friend, Yankel. He says, Yankel, give me $10,000. I'll take the money, and whatever this land produces, it's all yours. Okay. 
So what's the shaila here? Mi amrino, do we say madikani akne that it's his produce? He could sell it. That's it. He, you have rights to produce. You could sell whatever you have rights to. I don't know. Perhaps When do we say that the chachamim give the rights of the husband to get the produce top of pay omud beis mishum revach beisa so that there'll be ravchus in the house? Okay. Rashi says so that there'll be more food around. The husband's going to care for the field. They're now going to grow apples, and he'll have a lot of apples around. That's good for him. It's good for the wife. But the Rabbanon never gave a husband the rights to the produce to be able to sell it. So this is a general question in Hilchis, rights of a husband. When you have rights to produce, does that give you the rights to bring the produce home? Or does that give you the rights to even sell it to somebody else? So Yehuda Mar Bar Ramei Mar Meshved Rav Amar Yehuda Bar Mar Ramei says the name of Rava Masha Osoy Osoy his sale is a sale you could sell it Rav Papa Amar Meshved Rava Loy Osoy Loiklum sale is not a sale the Rabban only give you rights to be able to bring foods into your house Amar Rav Papa Rav Papa says Had Yehuda Bar Mar Ramei Rav Papa is arguing on him Yehuda Bar Mar Ramei he's arguing on him on on Yehuda Mar Bar Ramei so he says one second. You should know this that the one arguing on me, Yehuda, is arguing Lav Shimar. It wasn't, you know, what he's, the way he's trying to quote Rava wasn't explicitly said by Rava. He's assuming from something that Rava said that this is what Rava would hold. Why? Tahiyat said there was a woman, Ozal Gavra Nosiv Achrisi. So there was a woman. That she came in with two maidservants, then her husband married a second wife. So, So what happened was, ready for this? The husband took one of the maidservants that the first wife brought into the marriage, and she put her at the service of his second wife. See, here what happened. Wife number one comes in with two maidservants to help out around the house. The husband marries a second woman. And takes one of the servants to work for the second wife. So So the wife is the first wife is very upset. She came in front of Rava. Tzavcha. And she was screaming. Layishkachpa. means Rav ignored her. It means he wasn't he didn't put much into her claim. Man Mishum So if you were to see why Rava didn't do anything, it would seem because he argues. Like Yehuda is trying to say. It must be Rava holds. Listen, it is what it is. Tough luck. But you should know, Velahi. Says Papa, that's not why Rava was like Ishkach, but it's not why Rava ignored her. Yehuda is misreading the story. Rather, Mishum Revach Besa. The reason was that Malug in general goes to a husband is so that there should be Revach Besa. Like we said before, more things going on around the house. And in this way, guess what? Even though the first wife brought two maidservants in, by taking one of the servants and giving it to the second wife, the whole house is gaining. She's still in the same house. It's still the same family. And that's why Rava was like, She's saying, I want my servant back. You know what Rava's saying? 
you have the servant back. Just because the servant is is more dedicated to the other wife, or said doesn't mean you're not still gaining from this. She's cleaning the house too. She's helping around the house too. Hence, like Yishav, but in the case where the wife's not going to gain anything, the husband just sold the rights to his produce and no food whatsoever is coming to her, maybe Rava would take a hold. It's not a valid sale. Says the Gemara of Hilchsa, the Allah is, The Allah is, a husband has no rights to sell the produce of the field. A wife comes in with land. Can the husband eat the fruit? Yeah. Can he sell the fruit and the rights to it to somebody else? No. My time, oh, why? Why? What's the problem? Why do we say that it's, it's completely we say it's not a valid sale? Abai Yomar, Abai says, because we're concerned that it's not going to be cared for properly. It's not going to be cared for. A husband will care for it. Somebody else won't care for it. You know why? Because in the back of their mind, they always know tomorrow this couple could get divorced. Why would I invest so much in it? I'm not going to make sure this land really produces because I'm not behind the scenes on this couple's shalom bias. The husband sold me the rights to uh, the fruit. That's only while they're still married. The moment this couple gets divorced or the husband kicks the bucket, I, I, I don't have anything. So people are going to be more wary of investing in it. It's going to ruin her field. So we don't allow it. That's Abaye. Rav Amar, Rav says, no. Mishum Rebach Besa. Rav says, no, you can do with that. You know why it's not a valid sale? Because a husband does not have enough rights of the produce to be able to sell it. You have enough rights in the produce to use it. And the husband using it is a gain for the whole home. This is your wife's land. Who are you to sell it? Therefore, says Rava, you never had ownership to sell it. See, according to Abaye, the husband has rights to sell it, except we're not going to let him because we're concerned what the buyer is going to do with it. According to Rava, the husband never had the right to sell it in the first place. Practical difference between the two is, when you have land that's near the city, so land that's near the city, uh, apparently, Rashi explains that the wife can make sure it's constantly cared for. So according to Abaye's reasoning, you would be able to sell the land. There's no concern that it's going to get ruined. But according to Rava's reasoning, it's still not a valid sale because the husband never had a right to sell it in the first place. Inami, or you could say another difference is Baal Arasu. We could, uh, another Nafkamin is going to be where the husband himself is knowledgeable in farming. Okay, He's uh, ca- capable of... of um, being in Aris, and now that the husband's overseeing the field, again, we're not going to be concerned that it's not going to be taken care of properly. Inami, another difference is going to be Zuke, Vika'avid Bahu, Iska, is where the husband sells the rights to the, um, to, uh, the produce, and even with the money that's coming in, he's also going to make a worthwhile investment. So either way, whatever the husband, either way, the, we're not concerned that the, hu- that the wife is going to come out on the losing end financially. All right. Very good. Period. End of that Gemara. We now get to the next mission. Fascinating situation. This was all discussing 
a, um, you know, our Mishnah gave a case where a woman, uh, on yesterday's daf, the Mishnah gave a case where a woman came into the marriage with nichsei malug, the husband spent money on the land, assuming he's going to get Paris, and then he didn't, uh, either he got a little bit of, uh, of benefits, then he doesn't get reimbursed at all, if he gets no benefit, well, what happens in the following case? She's a Shemeres Yavam. So Ruvain was married to Rachel, and Ruvain dies childless. Rachel's waiting for Shimon to do Yibam on her. While she's waiting for Shimon to do Yibam, she inherits property. In the interim, all right, who owns this? Who owns this property? Because remember, stuff that she gets after Nisuin, the husband's going to have rights to. Here she's a Shemeris Yavim. There's a, just a Yibam connection here. There's no Erisin, there's no Nisuin. So what happens when she inherits uh, property in this, uh, you know, in, in, in this setting, in this circumstance of Yibam? So, Everybody agrees that she has full rights. She can give it away, sell it, no problem. Mesa, what happens if she dies as a Shemer What do you do with her Ksuba? Now, when a woman's a Shemeras Yavam, the first estate is the what's going to be obligated in the Ksuba, but she's not paid that until her second husband actually dies or they get divorced. Okay? So what happens to her Ksuba and the property? Bishami and Bishami says, Yachliku So her family and the husband's family split it. Okay? Why? It seems that Bishami is in doubt as to how to view her. If she back in her own uh, domain with these things, or she remain in the husband's family domain. So, yeah, you split it. The property stays in whoever had the chazaka on it, and therefore, the ksuba that would have been paid out to her is going to remain with the inheritors of the husband because he's the one who has the property. He has got the chazaka on that money. And any uh, property that she inherited is going to stick within her family. Okay, beautiful. Says the Mishnah Viter. Okay, it's very, very sensible. Whatever, whoever has ownership is going to retain ownership. Fine. What happens if... Um, the first husband left behind liquid cash. He's got a hundred. He's got whatever. He's got a hundred thousand in the bank. Yilak achbahem karka. So we take the hundred thousand, buy a piece of land with it. Vhuaychal peris, and he eats the peris. Okay, he eats the peris. So the yavam is going to be able to have the produce, the land set aside for her. Let's say he left behind fruits. So, he's still connected to the ground. 
Last Mishnah, look at the land, how much is worth with the fruit and without the fruit. Look at the difference in value. And the difference, the extra, the different amount, you purchase land, and the Yavam is allowed to eat Paris in that as well. No, they say, whatever is connected to the ground still goes to the Yavam. Okay? Now again, we're assuming that if it's going to the Yavam, that means that it was kind of like uh, inheritance of husband number one. He's just taking on those rights. Um, whoever, uh, whoever grabs it first is Zaycheh, meaning Kodom, who is Zaycheh. He gets it first, he grabs it first, first come, yeah, he gets it. Kodmahi, if she comes first, Yilakach v'am karka avu'echel peris. Okay, it's either going to be between her or him. Fine. Says the Gemara Viter, says the Mishnah Viter, Knossa. Let's say they now, ha- they now married. So the Yavam marries the Yavama. She's considered a full-fledged wife. Bovad, as long as, that, uh, not as long as, besides for the Ksuba, the Ksuba is still considered, is, is still going to be paid up by the first brother's estate. So the Yavam brings her in, they do Yibam, so now the second marriage is mamish, they're now new husband and wife. Except that if she ever collects Iksuba, it's going to be from the first husband's bank account, the deceased husband, not the second one, because the second one's just perpetuating that first marriage. He's not allowed to say to her that, um, you know, hey, by the way, I know you're going to be paid up by the Ksuba. See, here's what I'll tell you. My brother left behind uh, five miles of real estate, five miles of farmland. I'm going to set aside whatever he promised you in your ksuba. The Yavim says to her, I'm going to set aside whatever my deceased brother set aside to you, and that'll be your ksuba collection, and then I'll just use the rest of the land like it's, like it's mine. Says the Mishnah, he can't do that. He can't say to her, Here's, you know, I'm going to designate which land you're allowed to use for the ksuba. Now, why would he want to do that? Because as soon as he does that, he removes her lien from all the other land. There's a lien on his property. Her ksuba is a lien. It's a pre-existing lien. All of the deceased brother's property is connected to her now because in the ksuba. So the Yavam wants to separate all that land, get it off her lien, and just say, your lien's only on a specific piece of land. Says the mission doesn't work. All of the nechosim is responsible to pay up Raksuba Vachain and similarly Layimar Adam Le Ishtai, a person in general is not allowed to um is not allowed to say to his wife, Hareksuvasik, behold, here's your Ksuva, Manachasala Shokhan. Ella call Nachosov Achrayan Liksuvasa, all the property that you have now is responsible in the Ksuba. Okay. Gersha, what happens if they now get divorced? So now what happens is like this. She's married to Ruvain. Ruvain dies childless. She does Yibum with Shimon. They're fully married. Now Shimon and the Yavama get divorced. Ainli Eloksuba. So now, once the marriage is over, we could say, this is for your Ksuba and none of the other land. So in other words, while they're married, the entire estate 
has a lien on it for her ksuba. But the moment they get divorced, she says, here, here's the value of ksuba, and take it. Now we'll see what this matters. Why, you know, what changed. Hachzera, and then if the second brother remarries her, he takes her back. Yeah? So now, she's, it's, it's like a, you know, a regular situation, and um, she actually goes back to the previous lien. She goes back to the previous ksuba. Now Rashi here explains why. Listen, well, listen to what's happening first. What we're saying is, if the Yavam divorces her and then remarries her, she's going to go back to the original ksuba of the deceased brother. Why? What's the logic? So Rashi explains over here that whenever somebody gets divorced and then, re, and then uh, remarries, so what we're going to say is that um, the remarriage is in agreement to go back to how things were originally. That's how Rashi is explaining right now. So when you remarry, you're basically saying, forget the divorce. Yeah, you have a status of a divorcee. But whatever our original upmach, whatever our original makeup of finances were, we're going back to that. Now, in order for that to work, that's a major chiddush, and the Gemara is going to have to clarify that. Let's just uh, start our Gemara, and then Bezim will we'll restart the Gemara again tomorrow, but let's get going. They ask the question, searching for information, Shemeres Yavim Shemesa, if a woman dies while she's Shemeres Yavim, Mi Kaivra, whose estate is obligated to pay for her burial? Do we say that the Yavam's, uh, you know, it's the Yavam's family that's obligated to pay for it? Because remember, Ksuba took the place of burial obligation. So now that the Yavam is obligated to pay up the Ksuba, his his side of the family should be obligated to pay for her burial. Maybe her family is responsible. Because they're the ones who are going to inherit the hard property that she gets. If let's say she inherits property and she dies, the Yavam's not getting it. It's going to stick to her family, we learned in the Mishnah. So maybe since the reality is that they're going to, they would potentially have those rights to any land that falls to her, they also are, re, are retaining the responsibility to pay for her burial. So that's the Shaila. Who has to pay for it? Whoever inherits her ksuba is the one who's obligated to bury her. Who's going to inherit the ksuba if she dies? The yavam. Shemeres yavam that dies, the yavam, and by default, including the estate of her deceased husband, are the ones responsible to pay for her burial. We'll hold it here for this evening, Beshem, tomorrow, 10.30 a.m., Bez Hashem, we will pick up from Amar Abaye. Have a wonderful week, and a good Have a wonderful last day of Tuf Shin. Pei Bez, Zagibenst.